You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. We will be in the verses that Ms. Robin just read for us. If you're new here, uh, my name's Jamin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's thrilled uh, to see you. If you're joining us uh, online, uh, whether for the first time uh, or again, we, we're thrilled that you chose to worship with us this morning. Uh, before we turn to Matthew 6, uh, I have an announcement to make and then uh, a bit of a favor to ask. The announcement is that we are going to be bringing our elementary ministry back to this service on May 16th. So, all right, yeah. So we have only uh, had elementary and preschool ministry at our 9 a.m. service. On May 16th, we'll have elementary back uh, at this service. Uh, Part of that is uh, connected to the favor I have to ask. Um, Our 9 a.m. service is completely full and has been for some time. And so what what I asked our 9 a.m. service uh, about an hour and a half ago was if they would, some of them would consider coming to this service. And so the ask of you is to just keep doing what you're doing. Keep coming to this service. You are, you are so godly. You are already doing what we were asking you to do. But uh, we've got space in this service, obviously. And as we kind of navigate, kind of trying to recover some ground that we've lost in the last year and a half, uh, it would really help to just make this service your home. In order to help some of you do that, we want to bring back our, uh, our elementary ministry at the Olympic Teen on May 16th. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, and verses 16, 17, and 18, uh, Jesus has a very simple invitation for you this morning. It's a very simple invitation for us. In these passages, Jesus is going to describe two kinds of lives. One life is the hypocritical life, and then the other life is the hidden life. And the invitation is to live the hidden life. The invitation is to over and again choose the hidden life. We'll unpack that. If I do my job, then in the next 30 minutes, all of that will make sense. Uh, Proposed to my wife, Carrie, in November of 2007 and proposed to her in a park off of Lover's Lane in Dallas. And she said yes, thank God. And we took pictures and then we headed to uh, an engagement dinner. So immediately left the park and headed to an engagement dinner. And when we got in the car... One of the first things I said to my new fiance was, uh, it's, a, it's a real diamond. Like, <laughs> I promise, it's, it's a diamond. It's an actual diamond. Uh, you see, I was a broke Bible college student, and I knew that she knew that I was a broke Bible college student, so I knew that the thought had probably crossed her mind. Like, what's on my hand right now? Is it a diamond, or is it something that just looks like a diamond, right? So I wanted to assure her it's a diamond. What I didn't tell her was that um, I had financed most of it. So that meant she'd be helping me pay for it once we got married. And <laughs> I thought that would spoil the moment. So I, I left that part out. Welcome to marriage, Carrie. Um, but it, it, was, it was a diamond. And in all seriousness, I had, you know, I had worked three jobs nine months before that to save up for a down payment for this ring. And it mattered to me that it was real and that it was valuable because it, in a way it showed her that she mattered to me. And uh, she would have married me whether it was a real diamond or not. But in that moment, I wanted to know, you know, this, this thing is what it appears to be, because that mattered. Uh, it would have been really shady to let her believe it was a diamond if it wasn't. It would have been even more shady to tell her it was a diamond if it wasn't. So I wanted her to know that it's a, it's a thing of high value. I think I even told her the cut, color, clarity, and carrot, because I wanted her to know that I'd done my research and uh, wanted her to believe me. And, and, and in that, it kind of captures something that we feel, uh, that we generally know to be true, 
it matters whether something is what it appears to be. That matters. It matters whether something is what it's presenting to be, right? Few, few things in life make us feel quite as unnerved as discovering something is fake when we thought it was real or discovering something is counterfeit when we thought it was authentic, right? When, when the museum is found out for claiming the painting is an original when it's not actually an original, that makes headlines because it's duplicitous, because it's deceptive, because it makes everyone feel a little bit fooled. And we don't like fake. We don't like being fooled. We prize Christian or non-Christian, culture prizes this idea of authenticity. We prize honesty. We value sincerity. Whether it's diamonds or paintings, that's true. Hear me. It's especially true when it comes to people and people's character. We want to believe that people are who they say they are. One of the greatest compliments you can give someone is to tell them that they're the same person no matter who's around. One of the greatest compliments, one of the things that could be, uh, that, that, that is special, if it's true about you, is that you're the same in public as you are in private and you're the same in different spheres of your life. One of the greatest accusations you could levy against someone is to say that they're different depending on who's around. You know, you're just not the same person at home as you are at church. You're not the same person at work as you are at home, right? These are things that we feel and we know to be true. We value authenticity. We want to know it's a diamond if it's actually a diamond. We don't want to be led to believe that things are not what they appear to be. And that friend is actually the warning that Jesus has for us this morning. As a follower of Jesus, don't pretend to be something that you're not, especially as it relates to the religious things that you do. And what he tells us and what we'll see is there is a way to live your entire religious life. There's a way to live your entire Christianity trying to appear in public around others what we're not in reality. And that was the warning 2,000 years ago. It's just as needed now as it is then. The need in the church right now, the need in the world right now, friends, is for sincere Christians, authentic, honest, true, committed followers of Jesus who are not perfect, not pretending to be perfect, but don't present as being something in public that we aren't in reality. And that what we'll see is that only comes in our lives when there is something about your life that has hidden time with God that has, as Robin prayed, secret time with God. And we'll dive into that. Before we do, I need to orient this in our current moment because it's really, really important. At the end of March, Gallup, you're familiar with Gallup. They do research statistics. They follow trends. Gallup released their newest findings on the religious lives of Americans. And the headlines caught a lot of attention. U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. That's the headline. U.S. church membership falls below majority for the first time. First time since when? Since they started tracking in 1937. It's a 20-point drop since 2020. So we've lost a, point, a percentage point every year for the last 20 years. And it's not, the co it's not the pandemic. It's not just who has or hasn't been attending church. The survey goes out. Do you belong to a place? Do you affiliate to a place? What is your relationship with church, with Christianity? So it's below the majority for the first time. So as a church-growing Christian, as a church-growing Christian right now, you're participating in a minority group who has just become a minority group for the first time in at least 80 years. And a deeper look into those numbers show that what's happening in the church and what's happening in the country is that membership or participation in Christianity is almost aging out of the country. Generation X is less involved than baby boomers, millennials less than Gen X, Generation Z looking to be the least involved 
of all of them. And so if you're a millennial or you're Gen Z and you're here right now, you're even more a minority. And by you, I mean we. I'm a millennial. Surprise. It's, it's, it's not in some ways, though. That trend, those numbers, in a way, it's not surprising. Like, I, I don't know about you, but, but when I read the New Testament, I don't walk away with a lot of expectations that Christianity would be mainstream, especially when the Christ of Christianity promised the world that the, promised us that the world would persecute and reject, just like they did Jesus. Narrow is the road and few find it, our Savior says. So being a minority people is not something we should fear. Trying to hold on to some sort of cultural power is a lost cause. Uh, it was promised that we would be somewhat of a on-the-margins people. But there is something, hear me, there is something about the trend that we can't afford to miss. There's something about the trend that connects with where we are in the passage this morning Russell Moore draws it out in an article that he wrote this week. Russell Moore is an author. He's the current president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. He wrote an article about Gallup's research, and he says part of that exodus, part of what we're seeing in young people leave, uh, especially the young Christians who are departing, the de-churched, the deconverted, it's not because, he says, it's not because they find Christianity hard to believe, but because they find it hard to find Christians who actually believe Christianity. He says it like this, if you look back at the 1920s and you see people leaving the church, they are walking away from the church likely due to the fact that they found the virgin birth or the bodily resurrection of Jesus to be unbelievable or outdated or superstitious or because, and this is me quoting him, she wanted to escape the stifling bonds of a home church for an autonomous individualism. So years ago, people are leaving because they found the claims of Christianity to be unbelievable or the Christian life to be unattractive or stifling. And so they said, not for me, which is to be expected. But that's not everything that's happening now. There's something else that's happening in those numbers, in those trends. Here's what Moore says. We now see evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. If people leave the church because they want to gratify the flesh with abandon, such has always been the case, but what happens when people leave because they believe the church exists to gratify the flesh? And what if people don't leave the church because they disapprove of Jesus, but because they've read the Bible and have come to the conclusion that the church itself would disapprove of Jesus? Lord, help us. Help us. We are at a moment in history, we are at a moment in Christian history where we're losing generations Partly because they look at the church and say they're not who they say they are. Partly because they look at the Christians that are around them and say it's not what it appears to be. There's something counterfeit about it. There's something fake about it. They see a caricature of Christianity all around them and want no part. Not because the beliefs are unbelievable, but because the supposed believers are. Now, to be clear, I need you to know something that I believe with my whole heart. I don't think Citizens Church is contributing to that. I really don't. And I know I'm biased, but, but because of who I know you to be, you are some of the most generous people I've ever met. You're some of the most kind, selfless people I've ever known. You are involved in helping the vulnerable in really courageous ways. You love God's word. You love the Lord. You love people. You oppose evil and do good. You care about the mission of God. We need a lot more of you to volunteer in preschool ministry. But other than that, what God is doing in you and, and through you is, is remarkable. So I, I'm alarmed about what's going on around us. I'm actually deeply encouraged about what's, what's happening among us. But we have a part to play in fighting this trend. 
And if we're going to play our part in fighting the trend and in writing the reputation, if we're going to offer it, remember what we're doing here, Citizens Church. We exist as citizens of heaven so that we might show in the present a picture of what's coming in the future, that we might display boldly and clearly and unapologetically in the present that there is a kingdom coming that is and is to come. And we want to offer Collin County and the world around us a foretaste of glory divine in our church and in our lives. And if we are going to do that, we have to take heed the warning that Jesus gives us today. We have to heed it. We have to uh, double down on living sincere, convictional, authentic lives of following him. Let me say it this way. We need to over and again choose the hidden life. Over and again choose the hidden life. That's where our passage takes us. Jesus lays out two ways to live the Christian life and basically makes the point that the gap between what we claim to believe and who we're becoming is going to either widen or shrink based on which life we choose. The first life is not the hidden life. The first life he describes is the hypocritical life. Verse 1, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's a summation of what a hypocritical life looks like. And then Jesus is going to explain that. He's going to unpack that with three different examples. But there's three elements to this life. There's an act that is committed, and it's a good one. It's a righteous one. Then there's an audience before other people, and then there's a motive in order to be seen by them. He shows us that three different times. The next verse says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their rewards. So we have our three things. There's an act, giving to the needy. It's good. It's right to do. It's good to be generous. But the audience are the people who are in the synagogues and on the streets. And the motive is that they might be praised by others. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. The act is prayer, and it's good to pray. God wants to talk to us. The audience, though, are the people in the synagogues, in the streets, and the motive is that they might be seen by others. And then again in 16, and when you fast, that's the act. It's good to fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Their audience is anyone who sees their disfigured face, and their motive is to be seen by others, anyone around them. And that's the hypocritical life, the life of the hypocrite. See something with me? These people are incredibly religious, incredibly religiously active. If we go back to last week, they've got a really built-out trellis in their life. It is robust, and it's busy, and it's full. It's not a prayerless life that Jesus describes or an inactive life that he describes. The life is filled with, with religious activity. This person gives, and this person prays, and this person fasts, and a whole host of other things that are the right thing to do. And yet Jesus looks at their life, and he names their life hypocrite. It, it means actor. It's just an act. It's just a performance. They're just pretenders. So we use the word hypocrite, but we use it a little bit differently than the way that Jesus did here. A hypocrite for us is usually someone who says one thing and then does another or says don't do this and then they themselves do it, right? It's different for Jesus. It's actually a lot more frightening for Jesus. Here he describes someone who does the right thing, but what makes them a hypocrite is that they do it for a wrong reason. What makes them a hypocrite is not that it's the wrong action, it's the right action, but all that right action is for them is a performance. All it is is an act. They're an actor. It's like, have you ever heard an actor 
talk about one of their characters they play in third person, like if they're being interviewed about a movie they did or something. And it always throws me off to hear them talk about their character in third person. Like I listened to an interview with Robert Downey Jr. the other day, and they were talking about the Marvel movies and how successful they are and how incredible they are. And, and Robert Downey Jr. kept talking about Tony Stark in third person or Iron Man in third person. Like when Tony did this at the end of Endgame or the first few Iron Man movies when Tony was trying to decide whatever. And it felt weird to me. Like, to be clear, I know that he's not Tony Stark. As awesome as it would be, I know Iron Man doesn't actually exist, right? But I just so associate him with the character that he plays that to hear him disassociate himself from that character reminds me of something that is just so simple and so true. That's not who he actually is. It's just an act. It's just his job. He has a life behind that role and work behind that role and he drives to set and he steps on set and he gets paid to pretend to be someone on stage that he's not in reality. And Jesus warns us that for some people, that's all their Christian life is. It's just a character they play when they step on the set. It's just a performance, like they have a home life that is completely removed from who they pretend to be around their Christian friends or in a church environment. And my brother, my sister, beloved, we need to name this. We need to know it. We need to be honest about the ways that we're prone to this in our lives because none of us are immune from living this kind of life. None of us are above being seduced by this. So here's what makes them an actor. What makes them an actor is the audience that they actually care about. It's not God, it's other people but they're pretending before others that it's God. And so the actor is someone who tries to fake love for God to earn love from others. They try to fake love for God to earn love from others. And it's this idolatrous desire for praise and fame and affirmation that is masked behind and hidden behind pretending to love God. So it's giving so everyone else can see, but I'm not actually a generous person. Who I actually am in private is not that. I'm just pretending to be that person. So it's giving so everyone can see. I'm not generous. I'm greedy for glory that only belongs to God. It's fasting in a way that everyone notices. But I'm not actually hungry for God. I'm attention starved and hungry for compliments. It's praying in the streets. But I'm not actually talking to God. I'm just performing. My prayer is just a monologue in front of other people, not a dialogue with my Father in heaven. And the saddest part, would you hear me? The saddest part it works. It works. Jesus says something every single time. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It works. He doesn't say, truly, I say to you, no one buys it. Truly, I say to you, no one cares. You don't have anyone fooled. No, he says it works. People applaud. They think highly of the actor. They hear them pray and they say, man, I want to be godly like that guy one day. They see them give and say, man, I want to be generous like him someday. They see them fast and say, I want to be devoted like her someday. It works. The actor is applauded and gets followers on Twitter and people take him to coffee to learn to be spiritual like he's spiritual and, and ask her to mentor so that you can be like her and it works. And, and that's what makes it so sad because that's all the actor gets. All the hypocrite has coming for him or her are the rewards of a good performance. And it's so empty. It is so empty. It doesn't last. The reward is the judgment. It's why Jesus is going to go on to say, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. He's not just talking about money and not just talking about riches and not just talking about things. He's also saying, if your Christian life is all about the approval of others, you will get it and you'll never be able to keep it. Do not place the reward of your religious life in the hands of fickle people. 
If you live for the compliments, you will be crushed by the criticism and you will starve on the compliments because they lack the nutrients your soul actually needs to live a whole life. This is an exhausting way to live. It's a terrible way to live. Here's how it comes out of of the life. Here's what the actor is marked by. The actor is incredibly judgmental of others. That's a symptom in their life. They know about themselves that this is just an act, and so they assume that's true about everyone else. The good that comes out of them comes from impure motives, and so they assume that the good coming out of anyone else comes from the same place, and that comes out as being hypercritical of others' gifts. They will gossip about people's weaknesses and mask it as a prayer request because they love to be in a religious setting. They don't trust others because the actor knows themselves to be untrustworthy. The actor also can't celebrate anyone. They can't truly honor anyone else. Do you know the only competition commanded in the Bible? There's one competition commanded in the Bible. It's Romans 12.10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be better than anyone else at honoring everyone else. And that's the one competition that the actor has no desire to compete in. Because for them, it's all about the honor they receive from others. The only reward in this life and the next, so they can't share it and can't sit and hear others be honored for their obedience or gifts without at least quietly reciting to themselves all the reasons it should be them on stage. It should be them getting the compliments. It should be them receiving the affirmation. Actors and hypocrites also, they are unwilling to serve in small ways. Refuse. Unwilling to wash feet like our Savior did because that means lowering ourselves and the actor only wants to be exalted. The actor says, if it's not visible, it's not valuable. It only wants to serve where I can be seen in my service. And then the most devastating is that actors hide their sin. They hide it. Because if their sin was known, it could cost them approval. And that's all they're after. They have built this public perception and that's all they care to protect. And they protect that by keeping sin and struggle and addiction buried in private where no one can see. And when they hide sin, the only thing it costs them is closeness to God. And that's a price that they're willing to pay because it's not about him. God's just a prop in the scene that I use to play the role. Jesus, help us. This is no way to live. Hear the warning of our Savior. Living a Christian life like this will ruin your life. It will ruin you. Hear it from your pastor. This will ruin you. I, I grew up a preacher's kid who figured out really early on that God could be used as a means to an end and God could be used as a prop to get praise. I need you to know I have tried this life. I have succeeded in living this life. I am daily tempted to live this life. And it is always and only misery and loneliness and crushing pressure to perform and empty promises. And mostly it's the ache of the soul that is desperate to have in reality the closeness with God I work so hard to pretend is there. There is a better way to live than this. Praise God. There is a better way to live than this. There's the hypocritical life, and then there's a hidden life. And Jesus is going to invite us over and again into that life, into this better way. And he's just going to say, please, please choose this. He describes it. Look at verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing 
so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do you see it? It's all the same things. There's an action, there's an audience, and there's a motive, but it's changed. It says when you give and the audience is God and the motive is to be seen by him. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. All the actions are the same. There's giving, there's prayer, there's fasting in both kinds of life. But what has changed between the two lives and what makes all the difference between the two lives is the audience. There are two words repeated over and again in each of these sections. The word secret and the word father. There's this dance between the two of them. Secret is said six times. Father is said five times. And this is what Jesus means by the hidden life. This is the hidden life. It's a life filled with hidden time with your heavenly father. Secret, hidden time with God. And as Jesus describes it, it's hidden giving that is only for God. And it's more than enough if only God sees. Hidden fasting that is only for God. And it's more than enough if only God knows. Hidden prayer that is only for God. And it's more than enough if God's the only one who hears. So would you see something? Both lives have something hidden about them. Both lives have secrets, and both lives are defined by what's hidden. They are named by what they hide. The actor has a secret motive, a hidden reason for what he does. He hides that he is not in private, who he is in public. He pretends to be righteous and love God and hides that what he actually loves is praise from people. And Jesus names him based on that hiding, hypocrite. But the life of the sincere is marked by a different kind of hiding. It has its secrets of its own. It's a hidden life, not of lies or, or deception, but it's a hidden life of hidden secret time with God, hidden time with the Father. Uh, and it's not, it's not that it's never visible. It's not that nobody can ever know about it. It's just that it's not motivated by visibility. It's not motivated by being seen by others. So much of it is never seen. It's only seen by God. It's a secret, and it's the hidden life. And each life is known by their secrets. And so if the first life, the life of the hypocrite, is like an actor, this second life, the hidden life, is like an iceberg. Here's what I mean. What you see above the water of an iceberg is only 10% of its substance, according to the Internet. As massive as it might be above the water, you are only seeing 10%. 90% of the iceberg is underwater. That means most of its substance, most of what it really is, is not visible. It's underneath the surface. What is visible is only a fraction of what's actually there. And oh, that we as Christians would live that kind of life. Jesus is calling us to that kind of life. The hidden life, it has a public element to it. There's something that comes up above the surface. We can't help it, but most of it is not visible. In fact, what's visible to others around us is just a fraction of what's actually there. What comes out in public is just an overflow of what is true in private. So the maturity, the character, the righteous activity that is visible is not the most substantial part of the hidden life. Whatever others see, there's even more substance underneath the surface. In fact, the closer you get to someone who lives this kind of life, the better it appears to be. The more you realize there's love for God that's been hidden and there's secret time with God that nobody has to know about because it's not for anyone else. It's just because of a love relationship with God. And Jesus calls his followers to have this kind of hidden time with God because it's a heart and it forms in us and it keeps us accountable for having hearts that are only seen by the Father. Let me illustrate it. My daughter, uh, my seven-year-old, she loves to draw pictures and give them to people as gifts. And I, I'm pretty sure that I get the most of them. 
She loves drawing me pictures and giving them to me as gifts. It's very sweet. Usually what she'll do is she'll draw pictures of me and her together, and sometimes she'll write like a little love note uh, on the top of it. The other day she drew me a picture, and she drew our whole family in this picture. And anytime she does that, she always makes herself like a foot taller than her older brother, which I appreciate. And then sometimes she'll draw me with these huge muscles, which is confusing. But um, she, she drew our whole family, and she wrote a little note. And she came into my room where I was working, and she handed it to me, and then she just sits and just watches me look at it and watches me read it and corrects me when I don't get the spelling right. And she just sits there with me, and there's just this special moment that we shared together because she's given me that gift. And there's something about it that makes it even more special. Not every time, but most of the time, I'm the only one who's seen it. She refuses to show anyone else. In fact, if she's drawing a picture for me and someone tries to come look, she'll often cover it and scream at them to go away because it's not for them. It's for dad. And there's something about that that just makes it even more special. Like uh, it would feel different, right, if she spent all that time drawing that picture and then first took it to school and showed all of her friends. Look what I did for my dad. It would feel different if she spent all that time drawing that, writing that note, and then she went around our family and let everyone else read it. Like it would be okay, but it would introduce the idea of why is she really doing this, right? So it's different when she hides it. It's different when it's just us. It's different when I know that she's guarded it because for me, it creates this moment that's just me and her and I get to read her words and I get to receive her sweet, innocent, childlike act of love and there's a closeness that we share in a different way because it was hidden from everyone else. There's something so pure about that kind of act of love and Jesus is saying, would you have that with God? Would you do that? Would you build that kind of a hidden act of love that's just between you and your heavenly father that are praying and are giving and even in some ways are attending church and our Bible reading and the obedient lives we try to live out that what they are first and foremost is they are gifts to our father. And we don't care if anyone sees. We're not parading them around in front of our friends. It's not for our friends. It's for God. It's for our heavenly father. And because it's for him, it's okay if no one else sees. Because it's just for him, it's okay if no one else knows, and it's okay if it's mostly below the surface. And if anyone were to peer underneath the waters of my life, what they would discover is a hidden life of love between a child and their father. And see this, the reward never fails because the reward is God. You get him. Even as an imperfect dad, I need you to know I never reject my daughter's gifts. How much more about a perfect father? always receives what you're eager to give and always meets that with love and delight because it comes from a heart. We join the psalmist who sings, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing that I desire beside you. That's the hidden life. Do you have that kind of time with God in your life? Do you have those kinds of sanctified secrets of hidden offering of private gifts to God just because you love him and you know that he loves you and here's how you can tell. It comes out of our lives. It can't help it. Whereas the actor is judgmental of others and gossips about others, the iceberg, the hidden life, is full of grace for others. You know why? Because they have spent time with their father who is full of grace. The actor can't stand someone else being honored, but the hidden life can not only honor others, but it makes others better just by their very presence. They are generous with affirmation because they've spent time with their father who delights in them. The actor can only serve if the service is seen. It's only valuable if it's visible, but for the one who has a hidden life with God, there is no active obedience or service beneath them. They sing with the psalmist, Psalm 84, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of wicked. It is better to be the door holder where God is 
than to be center stage where he is not. And so I will do whatever job is available if it means being where God is. And I don't know who needs to hear this, but some of you maybe are weary in a work of obedience to God. Maybe you're weary in in doing things and you're wondering if it matters at all because it seems to matter to so few. Would you remember, friend, it matters to God? The doors that he has entrusted you to hold open, I need you to know the celebrities will not be the heroes of heaven. The viral and the visible will not be the heroes. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus' mom sings in her beautiful song, it's the lowly who will be exalted. Our God lifts up the humble in the the under-the-surface obedience that you have that no one else sees. The service that you offer that is only visible to God, you will never regret. It will not return void. Keep holding the door that God has entrusted to you and last. If the actor hides their sin, the life filled with hidden time with God is fully known because it's fully loved and it knows that in Jesus they sin but quick to confess because they know the only thing stronger than our propensity to fail God is his love for us especially in our failure prone to wonder we all are quick to pursue God is and his legs never get tired so we can come with our frail sinful selves into honest time with God before a holy God because we have nothing to fear and I need you to just at least consider a question The difference between the hypocrite and the hidden life is one believes pretending is the only way to get the love I most want. So if I have to fake love for God to get love from others, I'm willing to do it. But the other, the one committed to a hidden life of hidden time with God, it dares to believe that as I am, God loves me. Do you believe that? It dares to believe that in Jesus I am loved because I have been washed clean. And it can enter into time with God. It can come boldly, courageously with an innocent childlike love to my heavenly father because he doesn't hate me and I know it. Not only that, he's not apathetic towards me, but he sees me and he delights in me. And even if if this morning that means being honest about a lot of pretending that's in my life, I can believe that the heart of my heavenly father sees behind the pretending and in all my fear and in all my sin and even in all my secrets. And get this, as you are, he wants to spend time with you because he loves you. The invitation, friend, is to fill your life with hidden time with God. That the hiding that most marks your life is this entrance into time with God that changes you where you receive his love. Let's refuse to perform and refuse to be fake and receive the love of God. May we be even more under the surface than we are above the water. And we will then and only then become who we claim to be. And maybe, just maybe, we have a shot in our moment of portraying something different and true in the world that's watching. Would you pray with me? I mean this with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I don't presume to, that I was as clear as I could have been. But there was enough of God's truth presented that we could all consider the question, which life am I living? Which one is most true? If I just trace the religious activity I do to the motive behind why I do it, am I living the hypocritical life or am I living a hidden one? 
you take a moment to consider that, brother, sister? And in that, if you, like me, are prone, if you, like me, have to guard against the pressure to pretend, underneath that, would you maybe ask, is it a failure to believe that the love you most want, you already have? You can't earn it. No human can satisfy the need of the soul for love that only comes from God? Could you just rest? Even if my answer is hypocrite, even if it's like all this has been for me is pretending, could you just rest that right now the you that you've worked so hard to hide from others is the very one that God loves? And not just loves, but lavishes with his grace and mercy in Christ. Would you ask him in this moment to help you believe that, friend? Father, we love you. Help us, God. Help us to carve out secrets with you, hidden time with you, hidden life that blesses others, but it's not for others, it's for you. May we be those that the testimony of our life at the end of our life is they were the same no matter who was around. Because we believe that your eyes are always on our life. Your love always shaping, sustaining. Help us, we need you. Amen.